Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast, brought to you by footballindenmark.com. Welcome to Danish Dynamite, the Superliga podcast. And when I first recorded this, I said it feels like ages since I last did a podcast, and that's probably because it was. But actually, it feels like about half an hour ago because I forgot, <laughs> to, pre- I forgot to press the record button. We've been talking for half an hour, and then I realized... <laughs> you realized you were an idiot. <laughs> So, yeah, welcome to Danish Dynamite. I've got my two guests here uh, to talk through a ton of stuff over the last month. I've got Casper Delind and Casper Pedders back. And uh, I've just come back from a trip to Denmark where I actually met Casper Delind for the first time, which was a, a, a pleasure and an honor. How was it for you? It was uh, brilliant. We had a uh, good fun for two days, and uh, I got out and ha- had a few uh, beers with permission from my wife. So, all in all, a, a good trip. You were slightly shorter than I imagined. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's that's the way. Uh, in real life, that's that's just it. Lovely stuff. So I thought that we'd uh, we'd kick things off with a bit of a bit of a, a round robin of some of the transfer action, given that quite a lot has happened in the transfer window. Still got a week left, where we've all got Farzam's tweet notifications on, looking for uh, looking for information. But there's been some pretty big dealings in the Super League, and I thought that I'd start with with Casper Pease. Bromby, who shipped out two players who have been quite big players for them, Anis Ben Slimani off to Sheffield United in the Premier League and Mads Hermansen off to Leicester in the Championship. What do you make of those two moves, Kasper? It was an impressive move for Mads Hermansen. Also in mind, he's been uh, playing first keeper for Bromby for like two years, having quite a development uh, during that time. Uh, and also impressive move going to the English Championship, playing for Leicester, which for me is a club that, yeah, huge favorites uh, to go up again. So I'm impressed by by the transfer and also important for Brighton to make a big sale for one of their own masterclass academy players. And where does he rank in the the sort of the pantheon of great keepers that you've had at Bromby? You know, where how does he compare to, for exa- example, the the goalkeeper when you won the the gold medal, uh, Marvin Schwab? Marvin Sebe, he, you know, he was a German player coming from uh, Köln, as far as I remember. No, I don't even remember. Leipzig, maybe? I don't remember where he came from. Um, and then he he uh, transferred back to Köln after his time in Brøndby. So he's kind of, you know, he, he played an important bit uh, for the championship team. Obviously he did. Uh, but for me, it's it's Sebe is not one of the, you know, biggest. He played a huge part of the championship, but he's not one of, you know, the, the players to... Uh, to remember, uh, Hamilton obviously is is up there because he was developed in Brøndby and transferred out of Brøndby, so he's up there. But uh, yeah, uh, also yeah, as I said, he's uh, one of the masterclass players who came through the ranks. So you've also been lucky, Casper, yeah. right? Because you've had a lot of good goalkeepers if you look over the last ten years. So oh yeah, yeah, so there's quite obviously. a few to benchmark against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's it's a good. Uh, Resume, uh, goalkeeper resume. Point B, they have, they might have not have the best uh, record of uh, outgoing transfers and masterclass. You know the academy players, uh, but in if you just take specifically uh, the goalkeepers, they've done quite well for for a lot of years now, uh, transferring out uh, some some great players uh, for, for that position. Yeah, and w- what about Slimani? Is is he a player who you think can um, can sort of hang at that level, uh, the Premier League level? I'm. I was surprised that he that he went to the to the Premier League, but may, maybe I'm a little bit biased. After last season, he played for Brøndby the last part of the the season, uh, especially after the World Cup. 
where he definitely hasn't performed as well as uh, he did uh, during both the championship season and uh, the season after. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, he got the chance. Uh, he has the physique. Uh, he's strong. He uh, has a, some great skills on the ball. So yeah, uh, he, he's a good presser. So yeah, he got the chance. And yeah, maybe I'm a little biased because I got to know Slimane in person uh, when he was in Brøndby. But I, I'm glad that he, that he got the chance for the move. And now he just has to... Uh, yeah, grab his chance and try his best uh, to to see if he can make a name of him uh, himself in uh, in England. And I'm yeah. actually a little bit surprised that he's already had his debut. He played ten minutes uh, in the first game, so that's at least a good uh, a good um, start to his uh, to his career in the Premier League. Yeah, and I think that combination of you know when he's at his best, that 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 technique, that close control. Uh, that awareness on the ball combined with that that physique and strength, I think that's a, a heady combination. And uh, I think that if he can harness that, I think he, he can definitely be, uh, you know, he, he can definitely be a, a key performer for them. But the question is, it's so hard, given the level from the Super League to the Premier League, it's so hard to make that assessment. Yeah. Victor Christensen, for example, was, uh, you know, one of the, if not the the best fullbacks in the league, in the Super League. And, you know, he, he's, I think, third choice at, at less than our fourth choice. Yeah, and if if Silmane is able to do the things he did, especially in the championship season, he's uh, he's uh, excellent at progressing the ball up the field. Then Sheffield United has got themselves uh, a good box to box midfielder. But if they think they have got this deep running, speedy attacking midfielder, uh, they got it all wrong. So I hope they use him at the right position. I hope they use him uh, deep at midfield where he can progress the ball from the defense up the field and find more pacey players uh, running the wing or running deep uh, behind the defense. That's where you get the best out of uh, Slimane. Absolutely. And, you know, as I was looking through some of the top outgoings for the Superliga, what kind of struck me was just the the stature of some of the teams that, that these guys are being sold to now. You know, it used to be the case that players from the Superliga would would go to Holland or would go to uh, Belgium first and then get picked up if they if they performed at that level. But we're seeing players go straight to the top. And a, a perfect example of that is Jan Bissek, who I think was in all of our team of the seasons. And so no surprise that he was getting sold, but he's gone to Inter in Serie A. A reasonable fee for a centre-backs. I think it was about, about 7 million. But that's a, a, an amazing move for him. And I, I think you, you said that he's uh, already made his debut, Casper. Yeah, he made his debut. And I think there's a bit of a theme for some of the players who have uh, left the Superliga this year. I think a lot of them display a lot of these uh, attributes that top teams in Europe are actually looking for. And we'll probably run through some of them in a bit. But uh, Bisek displays, I mean, he's strong. He's fast. He can uh, cover wide areas on himself. He's uh, good at progressing uh, the ball at his feet. He's good at passing through the lines. So uh, he's good on uh, set pieces as well. I think he has a lot of uh, very, very strong attributes. And of course, it's going to be a a little bit of a similar story. Let's see how good he is uh, to Slimane. Let's see how good he is when he needs to pick it up a level. But but for the Superliga, he he was a superstar. And I, th- I think it will help him somewhat that he's going to a, a top team. You know, Slimani is going to have 38 games in the season that are uh, th- that you know he's on the he's on the side of the underdogs. Whereas uh, I think it will be the opposite for for Bisek. And I think that so often last season Bisek had the the freedom to go forward and contribute in the in the attacking phase. And I think that, uh, that there's a good chance he'll be able to do that at Inter. I I completely agree. And 
In addition, you can also see AGF this season has struggled a little bit. They've had to move their back line a little bit backwards. And the reason for that is they no longer have the same pacey element. And that also makes it extremely attractive at Inter for, for Bisek because they will be able to, to play with a high line. And I don't know who his competitors are in Inter, but uh, but that is for sure an attribute that is coming in strong for a team if they want to, to press high. Absolutely. Two very exciting attacking players in Gustav Isaksen and Hakon Haraldsson departed for Lazio and Lille, respectively. The fee for Isaksen was around 15 million euros, which I think was kind of expected. But the fee for Haraldsson was even more, about 17 million euros. And I think that caught a few people by surprise, just because I think that's a record sale for FC Copenhagen. And although he's a, clearly a very talented player, I think he was uh, he was sort of played in multiple positions last season and perhaps... Didn't have his best season, if 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 that if it would be fair to say that. I think it's I think it's very fair to say. I think uh, Haraldsson um, came in a little bit short because Cornelius went injured and he had to play false nine for a while, which wasn't his absolutely best position. Uh, but he is again one of the best pressing players in the Superliga for quite a while, and again uh, that is also an attribute that is uh, very very important. Uh, at top tier level so he works well in confined spaces he links up well um, so even though he didn't have his best season uh, there was still a ton of potential and I think he's done pretty well here in the in the preseason games as well there was a hat-trick and and I think we can see Haraldsson uh, with a pretty steep development from here he's he's a bit of a fun character because if you ask everyone else than FC Copenhagen fans I don't think too many people actually admire him but if I could pick one player from FC Co's team last season that could play in FC Norseland this season, he would have been my player. Wow. Casper P, what, what do you make of, of these two players? Do you think they're both on a, a sort of similar trajectory? As Casper said, uh, Haraldsson, he's, he's difficult to like to put into a box because what is he? What is his best position? Why, what is he best at? Uh, I think you, in a transfer like that, uh, and also, uh, if you, we talk about him in a moment, uh, about Anis Noama, it's a lot about uh, the fear of missing out for the clubs uh, who buys them. It's uh, it's a fear of missing out for this for, for talents who are young uh, and have shown uh, a unique skill set. That's a lot has to do a lot of it. I think Haraldsson, once he's set in in Lille, he will he will improve and be a lot better, and you can get. A more specific output from him, you know, if you know, for example, if he's a striker, he output as goals, uh, midfielder, and maybe assists, something like that. So once he's he's fully integrated and got a, gets a position a little, that's where you get the most out of him. And then Isaksen, right? He uh, he played really well in these European games against uh, against yeah, Lazio. Lazio, so that probably made him go on the list. And it's going to be interesting to see how his capabilities will fit. I mean, he's. He's pacey, he likes working wide, uh, he likes cutting into the field and shooting and probably going to be a bit less space in Italy than there is in the Superliga, but uh, but let's see. I would have higher hopes for Haraldsson than I would for Isaksen. Yeah, I, th- I think the interesting thing about Isaksen is that he really... Um his development really kind of increased when Anders Dreyer left and, and and he became the main man. 
obviously at Lazio, he's he's not going to be the main attacking player. He's going to, you know, he's not going to get the ball as much as he did at Michelin. So there's that to factor in. But on the plus side, he's going to be playing under Maurizio Sarri. And I think that can go can go one way or the other because uh, you, you either love him or hate him uh, stylistically. But um, I'm intrigued to see how that goes. And I, I thought it was interesting when he got unveiled at, at Lazio, their unveiling video was basically just a highlights reel of him tearing Lazio apart. Yeah, <laughs> so, it was good fun. <laughs> so yeah, so that's going to be that's going to be interesting. But the most sizable transfer is I, I don't think the ink is quite yet on the contract, but there's uh, there's very strong indications that Ernest Nwama is going to be a, a an Olympic Lyon player before the end of the week. And the talk is that that's going to be a fee of I think it's 23 million euros with uh, with bonuses on top, which would be uh, not only a Super League record but a, a record for for Lyon. What that says in terms of uh, the, the value that a Superliga player can be sold for after one season in the league, I think that that shows the, the health of the league and it shows that these teams are no longer kind of waiting. As Casper said, you know, there's, there is a bit of fear of missing out. And I think with Noama, there was talk about PSG, there were talk about Premier League clubs getting interested. And I, I think that kind of hype around him definitely has, has helped. But I mean, what an incredible feat. Yeah, yeah the, the days, uh, by the way, where you know a player had to perform well for maybe two, three seasons before he got himself a, a transfer out of the Superliga, uh, a big move, uh, and that would be maybe what would be considered a sideways move today to maybe Holland or Belgium. Those days are long gone now. Uh, one season where Nuama tear things apart, and the, the scouts could see a player who could who could create for himself as well as his teammates. Then one season is one season almost too many. Uh, to see him play, so I I understand, uh, and also it underlines my point uh, by uh, saying that the fear of missing out. I understand why the the clubs are making the moves now because, yeah, when you see a player like that, it's it's about hitting the buy button. How much of that transfer fee and that the fact that it was only one season? How much of that do you think is down to the track record that the FC Norgeland and Right to Dream have built up, and the fact that you know other players have gone for, for big money and and continued to to show improvement, and the fact they could cut it at a higher level? Uh, I think I think uh, there's one very big asterisk that needs to be put in here. He only played one season in FC Norgeland because he's African, and you can only join as an African to Europe when you turn 18. So if Ernest Noama had been uh, uh, Danish, he would have been playing from he was 16, is my assumption. So I think that is a bit of this uh, very quick uh, sell-off, and you will see that with a lot of the African players in general, that they don't stick around in FC Neuschland for too long time before they leave. Um, And then the second part is then, um, of course, the track record builds up a story because uh, in FC Neuschland, they have played people from very young age, but they've also had an extremely talented group uh, of youngsters. So when you have a talented group of youngsters and uh, they tend to deliver when they leave, it's also easier to make the next sale. So we talked about FC Norgeland, FC Co and uh, FC Michelin all doing, you know, in, in recent times, big transfers, you know, 15 million plus euro transfers. There's a big team who's notably absent from that conversation, which is Bromby. And I always go back to that that Jesper Lindstrom sale clearly the best or second best player in the league that season and he only went for 6.5 million euros Casper what is it about Bromby's setup that means that you're not getting double digit fees for these guys uh, of course a lot of the uh, things has to do with the the lack of a track record for big sales and and these young guys uh, for many years 
Brøndby has been kind of a, one of the big ocean ships, uh, ocean container ships, sailing without a direction, which also meant that there was no destination uh, for how to play, how to to put things up in the club, how to structure things. And it's it's funny because the situation where Jesper Lindstrøm and Morten Frandrup and all all these players, uh, they broke through. It was on the back of a season where uh, Carsten V. Jensen, the football director in Brøndby, he had to sell uh, a lot of the, the big uh, prolific uh, players in Brøndby, uh, Vilcek, Mukta and all the players from the almost uh, championship season in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of, uh, at the time, a bad economy, um, they couldn't uh, afford to bring in new guys. So a lot of the spots were up for yeah for the grab, uh, which uh, led to, to Jesper Lindstrom having this run uh, in the first team. And Brøndby needs to improve how to, to manage the club, how to, to run things in the club because they've been running bad for so long. So, you know, if it takes a certain amount of time to, you know, put things into a wrong direction, it maybe takes four times uh, yeah, that, that time to bring it right again. And that's the process Brøndby are right in the middle of. But, you know, and this could really call for a, a special podcast special about Brøndby because there's also some strategic uh, maneuvers right now with the new ownership that's, well, to be, let's put it the way that it, it hasn't been addressed well enough at the moment. And so if, if we're looking at some of the, the transfers in, talk me through some of the Brøndby business. I could I, I know that Jakob Rasmussen came in, you know, a guy with great pedigree. You know, he's played in, in Serie F, Empoli, Fiorentina. He's played uh, played for Feyenoord in, in the Eredivisie. He's 26. You don't often get a player who, who's, you know, played at that level coming back to the Superliga at 26. Considerable fee for him. But then on top of that, there was uh, Emmanuel Yaboa, a striker, Mateus Kowalczyk, Yuto Suzuki, Justin Patrick Pence, the, the goalkeeper from Bayer Leverkusen. There hasn't been a shortage of business, but it does feel, like you say, slightly scattergun approach. Yeah, if you look at the transfers in a way where you say, okay, where's this proven quality where you get uh, a proven player? It's only Jakob Asmussen who's, uh, who's uh, on that list. It's not that I find the other players bad signings, but with the strategy not being addressed, seen from the outside that the club is running a little bit loose right now, where fans are complaining about these foreign young players uh, coming to Bonpu. And the problem is, well, the challenge is that they are actually not, you know, it's not that they are, there's no perspective in those players, but Bonpu needs to address them. Uh, they need to address the, the perspective and they need to talk about why these players have been brought in instead of standing in the situation right now where fans are frustrated and especially after the Justin Che uh, transfer from where he, he came from Dallas. And then he was uh, loaned out to Aro Den Haag, a Dutch uh, second division club, uh, shortly after. It's a club who's also in you know the multi-club ownership group of, uh, of Brøndby. And that's, that's uh, not making the fans in Brøndby heavy right now. If I may jump in here, I completely back that it's about strategy. And I think if you look at all the players going out, and all the players being sold, what is the one true for all of them? It's the amount of games, it's the amount of goals they've played as a teenager. And Bonby just simply don't have a lot of spots as it is right now to, to bring these forward. And then Bonby can, of course, always uh, hover around the third spot and 
then uh, win one championship in 20 years or whatever the numbers are. But it is the, I mean, it's very clear in Denmark, if you need people to leave the league for big fees, you need a, need a lot of minutes as a teenager and a lot of goals. And when you look at the full list of Brøndby, uh, the only player in top 10 throughout uh, the Superliga history is uh, Frederik Holst, who played in 2012, basically. Yeah, so, and 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 to and to mention him, it's also uh, important to mention that he wasn't he wasn't a good player. He was an average Superliga player, but at the time he played in in a, at a Brøndby team where there was open spots because they were basically having a poor quality in the squad. So yeah, I completely agree with about that. And I, as I usually say, if you want to make a big sale for a teenager in Brøndby, in, uh, in the Danish Super League. They have to have like around 75 games uh, turning maybe 19 years old. Yeah, I echo it completely. I uh, it's uh, there's no doubt. There's uh, two ways of making money in Denmark. It's either finishing uh, in the top of the league, which means that you go to Europe, or you need to have interesting sales items on your on your balance sheet. And and I think that is where Bumpy's strategy is is lacking a lot, especially now when FC Copenhagen is catapulting forward in terms of sales and uh, FC Norseland done it for a while, Midtjylland's done it for a while. Uh, you can see OB coming from behind now, playing a lot of teenagers as well. Um, other clubs are, mo- clubs are moving and Brøndby is, uh, they're trying to, but as Casper wants to put it, it's it's a very big ship. Uh, I see resemblance towards uh, Manchester United as well. They're probably yeah, overspending yeah. a little bit in, in terms of money, but they I don't know, really know what they want or what they need and, And then some are good and some are bad, and that will define how the season ends up. And not quite taking a decision whether to go for the, let's call it, uh, top of the league strategy or the young guys uh, strategy. Uh, instead, from from my perspective, Brøndby has, well, they risk facing a situation where they put themselves between two, two uh, chairs between the strategy of bringing in experienced quality players in order to to go finish for the top or uh, playing and developing uh, young guys like uh, for example Oscar Svarta right now so mm. i for me it's it's really important that Brøndby they they take a decision whether to go for one thing or the other because right now if you look at the spots at the team it's quite a when i say old team it's not that they are a 30 plus team But if you look at the the, the players uh, and yeah, looking away from the goalkeeper situation right now, where it's a 39, almost 40 years old uh, uh, goalkeeper right now uh, until Pence properly plays, it's it's guys who's 22, 23, maybe 24, 5, 6, uh, and also 28 years old. There's hardly any teenagers around the squad right now. Uh, it's basically uh, Oscar Svarta was one of the only ones. And that's where Brøndby, they need to take a decision and that's where they need to get rid of all the average quality non-selling items in the squad. Tell me whether you think this is fair, but I was thinking that it feels to me like there's only really FC Norgeland and FC Copenhagen who uh, go into a season with what seems like a plan in their heads of, right, we're going to keep this player until such and such time and then we sell them. So like... It, it always felt to me like Ernest Nwama, for example, was going to be played through last season, 
sold this summer. It, feel, it felt to me like FC Copenhagen, you know, at the point where they sold Mohamed Darami, that felt like it was part of the plan. At the at the point where they sold Victor Christiansen, it felt like it was part of the plan. Whereas uh, I'm seeing rumours for Chris Garden at the moment. It doesn't feel to me like that's part of Bromby's plan to sell him at this at this point in time, feels like his value would be much higher at the end of a season where he's got double digit goals, whatever it might be. But if he ends up going, I think that he's going to be another player who might go for, for less than he's worth. I think I think it's fair enough. I think there's a few more teams that needs to be mentioned in similar style of FC Norseland and FC Copenhagen. I think FC Midtjylland has for a lot of years proven to be extremely good at selling at the right time and place. Um, I know they had a, a bit of an off season last season, but they have been very clear on their strategy. And then we have a few of these, you can say, slightly lower tier teams. But a, t- a team like Silkeborg has also been very good at selling at the right time and place, uh, as I see it. Okay. There were a, a few transfers from within the league. Lucas High obviously arrived at FC Norgeland from, from Lungby. And uh, Elias Oshuri moved from, from Viborg to FC Copenhagen. Two players who I think showed last season what they could do. And two of the kind of bigger teams have seen an opportunity to bring them in for, you know, relatively low fees, I think. What do you guys make of those two transfers? If I can start with Lucas High, I was a little bit surprised uh, to see this transfer. And I was a bit surprised for two reasons. I think I've been taking a little bit uh, by surprise about uh, how different FC Neuschland's strategy actually is this season. So normally we would be in a spot where we would sell off the best players and then we would bring someone up from below. But uh, it seems like uh, now with more money in uh, on the owner side that we're now starting to invest. So in that sense, I think the transfer made made sense, uh, even though it was it was a surprising element because um, there's no doubt he is no Nagalo uh, when you compare them in terms of stats and numbers. But on the other side, he was a very big part of the great escape in, in Lyngby. So... Uh, so uh, hopefully he'll be able to learn what he needs in a, in a short time span uh, to, to be a part of this team. So uh, it's a very symbolic transfer for how FC Neuschland has moved within the last few years, for me at least. Yeah, and I, I mean, I didn't fully appreciate it until this weekend when I went to, to see both teams. But there's, uh, I'm not sure there's quite full-on animosity, but there's definitely a rivalry between uh, between FC Neuschland and Lungby. So I don't know how many players have, have made that transfer uh, in recent years. But yeah, it certainly seemed like that was one that the fans weren't too happy to, to see happen from, uh, yeah. from a Lungby perspective. Yeah, it's, it's fun because there's so much interchangeability between the teams. And I think uh, when I looked at one of the Olympic games the other day, five former FC Neuschland players were in the lineup. So at, as it is right now, then uh, the players that aren't good enough to make it in FC Neuschland, quite a few of them actually end up in Lyngby. So that's also why it's a bit interesting that so many Lyngby fans, they uh, they uh, they don't appreciate... Well, I get why they don't appreciate us because we basically took half a team 20 years ago and that's where it all started. But... Um, but uh, still a bit surprised about the, the hatred that I run into from time to time from, from Lingby fans. I, I don't have the same feelings towards them, but that's maybe also because uh, we are now uh, the big brothers and they are officially the, the little brothers of the world. Elias Ashuri joined FC Copenhagen from from Viborg. He really hit the ground running last season and was uh, 
was unquestionably one of their top players. And I guess this is just a case of FC Copenhagen flexing their their muscles. You know, last summer they came for for Christian Sorensen, who was obviously such a key piece of of the Viborg team, and uh, and picked him up. And uh, they've done it again this summer with Ashuri. And you know, in the few games that he's he's played so far, he's looked definitely like one of the biggest threats for for FC Copenhagen. So I guess a good move for him. Uh, some decent money for Viborg, but taking a, a really top player from them. Yeah, it's it's very much a Bayern Munich transfer. So they they pick up the good players from the rest of the league, uh, making competitors weaker and making themselves stronger. And I think it's very fair to say, as you said, that he's he's been really really good for FC Copenhagen. I'm a little bit surprised he's been that good, but he's he's really made an impression from from day one. And I think kudos to to the transfer team in in uh, FC Copenhagen for for this move. Um, impressive. FC Copenhagen, it feels like, have been a, a homing beacon in recent years for, you know, Scandinavian players who were playing abroad uh, and they, they've brought them back to Scandinavia. There was obviously uh, Andreas Cornelius. Uh, there was uh, Victor Fischer. Uh, I'm sure you can think of some other names. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Bielan, Okoa, um, they've had they've had a few and they've been really good at this. And it makes sense because FC Copenhagen still pays the biggest paycheck in Denmark and it's the easiest team, uh, team to win a championship for. Uh, they have a great atmosphere in the stadium, uh, even better now. So uh, they very often become the, the one team that uh, people, they, uh, they tend to go back to. And, you know, they followed that tactic again this summer with um, uh, El Yunusi and uh, Berger Mailing coming in, two uh, Norwegian internationals. And again, they're both guys in their late 20s. So they're not over the hill yet. They're not finished. Uh, and perhaps a sign of what the Super League is able to do. You know, earlier in the window, we talked about Marcus Ingvartsen coming to FC Norgeland again, straight from the Bundesliga, 27 years old. Uh, and I think these kind of transfers, you know, Rasmussen to Bromby as well, these are really interesting to me because I think that four or five years ago, uh, guys who were returning to the Superliga were coming, you know, in you know once they'd hit thirty or once they felt like they were over the hill and they couldn't get another move somewhere else. And I don't think that's the case with these guys. No, I think it's uh, it is definitely moving a bit. The the taxation rules in Denmark are are, are liberal, and the the when it comes to uh, returning or coming in, if you've been away, I think it's ten years, then you go in on a very decent tax rate. And then on top, the league in itself is uh, is definitely progressing. So uh, so you can actually make a little bit of money uh, in your uh, in your mid career as well in Denmark. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've 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 only just become familiar with the taxation rules, but uh, it makes a lot of sense when you <laughs> when you look into just the saving that you get after after that time period's passed. I guess the transfer that I was most excited about was Bailey Peacock-Farrell. And this was a transfer. I remember Patrick Monk, shout out Patrick, mentioned this rumor to me earlier in the summer. And it was just such a such an out there rumor. A player coming from Burnley, Northern Ireland's number one, being linked with AGF. And it just seemed such a strange transfer to me. And you know, when I started reading about it, it looked like he was getting offers from championship clubs where he'd be a starter. You think that he's giving that up to come to AGF to experience a new league. And when it happened, I was absolutely delighted just because, you know, to have a player from Northern Ireland in the Superliga is 
amazing. And uh, I, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen. You know, he looks really good on the ball. He's ousted Jesper Hansen, who, let's be honest, was probably one of the best keepers last season in the league. And although maybe not a club legend, I know he's played for, for lots of teams in Denmark, but he was really one of the sort of captain figures at the club. So I was kind of surprised they they brought they brought in a keeper of this level, and I'm kind of surprised that he became the number one almost instantly. But it, it looks like a it looks like a good move, albeit quite a ruthless one from Uwe Rosler. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, I mean it's one of these uh, players that I don't think a lot of Danish players knew him in advance, but he's played in good clubs, and I think he looks good from the get go. I think he will still be the second best Northern Irish goalkeeper that we've had in the league because <laughs> Roy Carroll was also there for a while who did extremely well but um but let's see it's it's uh it's always interesting to get in uh, new nationalities and having failed to get jack wilshire on the podcast i am going to move heaven and earth to get bailey peacock farrell exclusive interview on the podcast so it's going to happen watch it's this gonna happen. watch this face i'm optimistic shall we say so yeah lots of transfers in and out as we said we've got uh, another week of the window and I, I think all sorts of things could happen there's talk about Kamil Grabara there's talk about Simsir from uh, from FC Midtjylland that you know there's lots of players being rumored lots of them will be just that rumors but if uh, the past is anything to go by deadline day is uh, is always uh, full of drama uh, in the Superliga. Are, are you expecting any any big moves at FC Norseland? With Norseland, I'm I'm expecting more out than I'm expecting in. As you said, uh, Nuama is still... We're waiting for the ink to dry up. I still expect Nagalo to leave. And then, uh, depending on how the uh, the games against Partizan go, there might also come something in. But I think we need to qualify to, to make a last attempt to get someone in. Also, I think it's going to be young spots filling up. So... Right now, it's looking good for FCN. Uh, and we talked a lot about Bonby today. And Bonby still has a few uh, key positions they need to to fill up. If they get in impressive players, uh, the dynamics might change again very quickly. So uh, so it is going to be very interesting to follow for the next weeks. Uh, Midtjylland is also extremely active at the moment. So I don't think they are done at all. So a bit uh, too premature to have a, a full status on, on uh, who's the strongest in the league and who's not. Uh, but I definitely expect action. Great. Well, we're going to take just a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to go through some of the key talking points of the first five rounds of the season. Lots to talk about. So join us after this. Welcome back to Danish Dynamite. And I'm recording this just days after my trip to Denmark, which is always one of the highlights of the season and uh, being able to see some football live. And I'm going to be doing a big write-up on the site, so look out for that in the coming days. But quick preview of, of what went on. I arrived on Thursday, met up with Casper, and we headed down to, to Farham, or up to Farham, I should say, northwest of, of Copenhagen on the S train, and uh, and took in FC Norgeland against uh, FCSB. I avoided getting beaten up. I was confused for uh, a Romanian FCSB fan at the, the one bar in town. Casper uh, came and saved me. And, uh, and yeah, we, we saw a very enjoyable game in Farham where FC Norgeland really took the game to the opponents in the second half. And uh, I was going to ask you, Casper, what, you know, what was your take on that game? Because it felt like, it felt like FCSB brought a counter-attacking style that, that perhaps wasn't expected and caused some 
problems in that first half with with Kian Hansen and Andreas Hansen coming to the rescue. But as the game wore on, felt like Norgeland really sort of took control. Big call from the coach to, to take off Ernest Noama at half time, but it turned out to be the right call. And two goals from Ingvitsen in the end sent you guys through. But I, I'd be really interested in your take on, you know, having been out to, to Romania for the first leg. How was the, you know, was the game what you expected and, and what did you make of the performance? Yeah, let's start with the first game. So as I support FC Norgeland, uh, we're not that many away supporters when we go. Uh, we were in total like 50, 30 um, fans and then 20 in the VIP section. And we were picked up by uh, Romanian police. I think there were like 80 policemen fully armored to bring us to the stadium. And that in itself was just a very, very uh, different experience to everything else I've, I've tried until now. But when we played down there, then uh, I didn't get the feeling that this was a good team. We were pretty much in control or we were very much in control until the red card. And even after the red card, we still managed to to have control uh, or somewhat control for the, the last 30 minutes. So my expectations going into the, the game in farm was that we were the better team, but they uh, they took me a bit by surprise. And as you said, they actually delivered a, a decent first half and they could have scored. But uh, then the game progressed and we got this maybe slightly cheap penalty just before halftime. And then I think it was uh, smooth sailing from there. Coming up this week, you're, you're playing the playoff leg against uh, Partizan Belgrade. And this is a team that has been in Europe for a long, long, long time. Big history in Europe. And yet, w- when I look at the bookies odds, FC Norgeland are significant favourites. So I, I, they must know something that we don't. But it looks like quite a good opportunity on paper to, to make it through to the group stages with just this tie ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am super surprised because we played them in... 2018, uh, where we lost the 5-3 aggregate, but it could have been a few goals more. Uh, back then, they were a great team, uh, but the uh, the bookies, they often uh, know the market very well, and uh, and we are pretty big favorites. You need to go all the way back to our uh, 5-1 uh, victory against uh, OB in uh, 2022 uh, to find a similar um, style of favorite. So it's in 160 now which means that uh, we should at least in farm be, be good. And then uh, news just came out this morning that Partisan will only have half of the crowd in, in uh, Belgrade because of some fireworks shows that they pulled off. So uh, so all in all, I'm, I'm pretty excited going into these games. My expectations are high, but you just you never know with these teams. You never know how they play, who's the star players. Of course, uh, the, the team in itself has watched a lot of video, but... As a fan, it's it's a bit of a untouched territory, you can say. Yeah, absolutely. And I want all the Danish teams to to make it into to Europe, just because uh, I'm a, a supporter of the league in general. But in particular, FC Norgeland, you know, I have a soft spot for, and I, I think that if they could make it into the group stages, it, it's such a justification for the way that things are things are done at FC Norgeland and, and the whole Right to Dream project. And I think that it would be a, a fantastic achievement, you know, having having got the, the silver medal last season to to make it into a European group stage and uh, and hopefully have some glamour ties. I, I'm I'm really hoping they can come through those two legs and uh, and pull it off. Yeah, yeah, it would be it would be fantastic. It's going to complicate the league quite a bit if we end up going through because uh, these conference league games they always played on a Thursday night and in the Super League we often play on Sunday. So Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday is going to be tight in a in a not too um, broad team. 
but uh, I will uh, I will take a few beatings in the Superliga if necessary to to be able to go to somewhere exotic in Europe for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, one team who already have a, a foot at least in the Europa League uh, and potentially in the Champions League is FC Copenhagen. They uh, came through their first leg against the Polish champions last night, um, and they came through with a one-nil win. You know, it was it was gritty. It w- wasn't a, a pretty game to watch, but that uh, they went away got the 1-0 win and uh, they're now obviously favourites to make it through to the group stage. And I think for a second year in a row, that would be a seriously impressive feat. And, uh, you, you know, the, the money and the prestige that comes with that is, is not insignificant. No, it's it's uh, hands hands down. It's it's impressive if they make it. Uh, they, uh, they played a game uh, Tuesday night uh, where they... Uh, where they did what they've done a few times now. They came in front early and they managed to keep the Polish team uh, away uh, or somewhat away from goal at least uh, for, for 90 minutes and, and a really good uh, spot to, to qualify and I think they'll make it as well. There's one other team uh, still in Europe. AGF obviously went out early on uh, in the, the, the first uh, first possible round to Club Brugge and that was just a really unfortunate draw for them. Bailey Peacock-Farrell came in in the second leg. I think they kept a clean sheet at home. So they did rescue something in the second leg, but ultimately that they weren't able to progress. But FC Michelin are still in with a chance of a conference league spot. They play Legia Warsaw, so another Polish team. And I think that one's going to be potentially tricky for them. Yeah, yeah, they've had a rocky start to the season. I just saw now that Cho looks like he's out of the game as well. He's the new South uh, Korean striker who's been looking uh, pretty good from the get-go. But they have a lot of injury issues and and they got an unfortunate red card in, in the start of the Super League as well where they lost 4-0 to Lyngby. So, uh, so I'm also a little bit uh, on the fence here on their chances to go through, I must say. Yeah, and actually, as we move from from Europe to talking about the Superliga, I've been, you know, I wasn't big on on FC Michelin before the season started. I know lots of people had them in the top three, and it, it just didn't seem like that was a that was that was going to be it for me. And with uh, Gustav Isaksen gone, with you know Cho injured now for for a couple of weeks, the defense is looking a bit shaky. I'm wondering if if we can already rule out FC Michelin from a, from a medal position. What do you think? Am I being too hasty? Yeah, I think on a medal position, you're definitely being too hasty, especially because they are looking at big transfers coming in. But there's no doubt that they don't look like a football team in control as it is now, right now. So um, so I think uh, time will be in their favor here because they still have a, a relatively new coach. And, and uh, I think uh, let's see what they actually bring in on signings before we, we deem them out of the medals. Uh, but I don't think they're going to win the league. Let me say it like that. I mean, uh, unquestionably, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I think I'd bet anything on them not winning the league. But yeah, I, I think the key positions for me uh, when I look at that team is they're going to need a winger who can who can run at players like Gustav Isaksen and Anders Dreyer did. And there's one sat at the top of Division One at the moment uh, in the form of Alan Souza that, that seems like a that would seem like an obvious transfer to me. But um, maybe I'm just uh, maybe that's just wishful thinking. But I, I feel like they need a player like him who they can give the ball to and who can take people on. I mean, Simsir does that perfectly on the left, but they need more. Yeah, they definitely need more. And I think uh, it's a very uh, easy conclusion to make that last year they were very much a one-man army with Isaksen, but I also think it's the truth. So so no doubt that they're still struggling in sending it up. 
And Simsia has been a revelation uh, again for Superliga standards. He's done really, really well, but I don't think it's enough. So they need a choke back uh, ASAP. He needs to uh, continue his his uh, his level. And then uh, I think uh, Ingasan that came in in the central defense, he needs to to step it up a notch or two. And then I think when you look at it player by player in the central midfield, I think they are really strong. But I just don't think that they dominate the games as they should when you actually look at the names. Uh, I'm pretty envious on on Martinez. And I also think Gigovic is a great player. And, mm. and Olsen can can also do a lot of stuff. So so it is. there's a lot of good players in the team, but it's just not clicking completely. And I'm with you. I think they, they lack a bit of speed. And it would be a smart move to put something in on the right side where where they can uh, win their 1v1 uh, duels uh, to to progress the pitch. Yeah, I mean if you think back even a few seasons there was a there was a point where they had Isaacson, Dreyer, Sisto and Mabil as you know four wingers for two spots and uh, you you didn't lose much quality when you brought one in for another whereas now you think you know chose out and that means uh, uh, two weeks of Bramado, which is quite a big downgrade, I think. And, uh, you know, the same can be said in the wing positions. That there's, there's just not the same strength in depth. And perhaps it's not sustainable to maintain that kind of strength in depth, but it's definitely hurting them. It is, it is. And uh, that's also why they're one big question mark for me right now. I could see them go as low as uh, number seven, but I could also see them uh, shape up with... Uh, when they get their injuries back and if they bring in a few players. And and then I think uh, Thomas Bear is, uh, is a very, very skilled coach. And he often gets a little bit more out of the teams than the teams actually have quality for. So uh, so I think uh, give him time and, and I think they will bounce back. Okay. Well, watch this space then. We'll uh, we'll, we'll see who we can uh, we can clip this up in twenty weeks time and and <laughs> and see which one of us has egg on our face. Yeah. Um, FC Copenhagen, I think, look by far the strongest team in the league. No surprise, they're going for a third consecutive title, and they've just got so much strength in depth. The thing that we talked about, Mitchell and lacking, and even when they're not playing well, they're still winning. It feels to me almost an inevitability, which I think isn't great from the perspective of selling the league as a, a super competitive league but I just can't see anyone taking the the title off them this season uh, again am I being am I being hasty there nah I think if we start by how's the first five games gone so uh, football is about winning and they've won all the games so so kudos to that but uh, you also mentioned that they haven't been playing really well and you can still see problems in the team especially when it comes to defending I think they need to uh, to find a, a solution there. They, it will most likely happen with getting in a new quality number six. Uh, they also just, as you mentioned earlier, got in Buer Mailing on the left-hand side of the defense. So I think uh, they have already moved in on some of their weak spots. Uh, but I can only echo that they look the strongest. They look uh, the broadest when it comes to the team selection. I think uh, they need a lot of bad luck and uh, lack of quality over this season not to to run it home. Looking at the table, sat in second place with uh, with four wins out of five, the most goals scored, and with only FC Co conceding fewer goals is FC Norgeland. And looking at it w- without context, I think it, it that to me looks like a a two horse race for the title. But of course, Ernest Nwama is such a a big part of that. Banged a hat trick on the first game. I, I just wondered. Can Nuama be replaced? Is Ibrahim Osman going to come in and have a, a similar impact, or is his sale 
going to cost FC Norgeland? Yeah, so I think if we just uh, leave FC Copenhagen on their own for a second, then I think even selling Nuama, they can still potentially be competitive for number two as it is right now. But I think Nagalo will also leave potentially. Uh, and I think he has a lot more impact on the team than Nuama does when it comes to the style of play. So when Nuama leaves, the pace will be on the left, as you mentioned, with Osman already. Of course, a quality dip, but still a similar type of player. So they can build up in the same way. They just need to invert uh, the way they build up. When it comes to Nagelo, he's so important in taking the pressure off the team. You can always pass it back to him and he can dribble a man and he can pass it forward. Again, very similar to Jan Bisek in style, just a bit younger, uh, a bit more uh, immature in his style of play still. But we don't have a similar player uh, at all. So there's going to be a lot more pressure on Kian Hansen on the build-up. And I think that's going to cost a few points. And and then the last part is that Nagalo's speed is so impressive that it also gives us the opportunity to stand extremely high on the pitch and Ken Hansen's good at a lot of things but it's not running uh, with uh, 50 meters to goal when whatever Quist go on or someone else that's pacey uh, runs at him so uh, mm. so it's gonna have an impact for sure and then uh, and then I still think either Diomande or Villasen could still leave uh, which is again gonna take away some of our top quality and it's gonna also remove some some broadness to the squad so uh so I have FC Neuschland between the second and the fourth position this season. Yeah, that fe- that feels accurate to me. I mean, it is worth saying that I think the the, the one weak point of uh, FC Neuschland's starting eleven last year was the lack of a, a top quality number nine. Negren came in and and did a a, a fantastic job, but was never going to be a guy to bang like double figure goals. Similarly, Fagir's spell at the club was pretty disappointing and I think that obviously this season he was abysmal <laughs> okay yeah you put it put it a bit more strongly than me but yeah so that that wasn't a good move whereas this season Ingvartsen has come in and really he's the he's a you know star quality number nine and again Mads Bidstrup left that would have left a big hole but Jeppe Tverskov has has come in and shown that he can play a really high level in that position and so I feel like had Nuama stuck around, uh, you know, with that new and improved front line and with Tverskov bolstering that midfield, I think definitely could have been a title challenge. But hey, you never know. Stranger things have happened. I think with the mix that you just mentioned, I, I completely support what you're saying. I think it's worth uh, looking at uh, Dorgeles as well mm. uh, in the central midfield. He might be uh, this season's uh, big uh, revelation uh, when it comes to to moving forward. So. I've seen him out play the game down in Bucharest where he owned the football field for uh, 47 minutes until he got injured. And I saw the preseason game against uh, Red Bull Salzburg where he was also completely dominating the game. So I think uh, if people aren't aware yet, watch out for, for that young gentleman. Absolutely. And in the uh, in the fan bar before the game on Thursday, I, I saw a, a Dorgela shirt and I saw an Ibrahim Osman shirt. So, you know, even when people are buying shirts, people are looking to be uh, the first with some of these names that are going to become household names in years to come. So I, I, I absolutely love that. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. 
<laughs> so I wanted to ask, who do you think is the, the most likely kind of contender to those teams that, that we've talked about? Do you think AGF can sustain something there? They're currently fifth. They haven't looked as strong as they did last season, maybe, but it does feel like there's something building there. And with Bailey Peacock-Farrell bolstering the, the goalkeeper position, maybe that's a kind of slow and steady rise up the table with no European football to have to worry about. Yeah, yeah. so I like uh, AGF a lot. I think they are tough teams to play. I think when they figure out their defensive line, uh, new defensive line, I think they will be even stronger. I think uh, Tobias Beck that came in, uh, came home from uh, Germany, maybe it was Ingolstadt, uh, has already proved to be a, a quality player. I have them, uh, let's just call it uh, an inch behind FC Norseland right now for mm-hmm. the full season. And uh, then I think it's going to be either Bonby or Michelin that's going to shape up and most likely Michelin. Interesting. Well, I mean, Bromby are currently sat in third with uh, with nine points. And if you if if you just uh, if you hadn't looked at the league table and you just listened to to Casper P earlier, who by the way has uh, slipped off during the break because uh, he's got work. So thank you to Casper for, for for joining us for that first bit. And sorry for not saying bye as he uh, as he slipped out the door. But if you just listened to what he said, I think you'd think that they were in the relegation zone. There's certainly things to be uneasy about for Bromby fans off the pitch, but I think on the pitch. It certainly looks like in the past couple of weeks anyway that they're looking a bit sharper they're looking like there's a there's a plan and uh th- th- they certainly don't look like they they're the kind of uh easy to beat team that they were at this point of the start of last season yeah so they are definitely trending upwards when you look at big chances created and so on but uh, i just talked to one of my mates uh, before going on here and i think the the biggest uh, problem with bunby is that even though they have a quite a decent amount of points they still have their first good game to play. Uh, the 1-0 win against uh, Michelin was a horrible football game. It was a very, very good goal, but it was a, it was definitely not the way you want to sell the Superliga. Uh, against Lyngby, uh, they did fine until uh, Lyngby got a red card early in the second half. And then they, after that, created four big chances. But until then, yeah, they were good, but they weren't uh, displaying uh, excellent football. So... I think uh, there's a very big difference when you look at uh, the points uh, that they have collected and then how they've been playing on the pitch. So I get the uneasiness and I think the uneasiness is also built up by the fact that some of the strategic leadership before the season said that there would be title contenders, uh, title contenders this season and they're not really looking like title contenders at the moment. So, um, so yeah, I, I fully understand the frustration from Casper's side. It's so strange, isn't it? Because, all right, okay, with the exception of the goalkeeper position, which is a bit of an unknown, they do have on paper the squad that could be challengers. You know, they've got um, quality, uh, they've got a nice mix of experience and youth. They've got a number nine who scores goals, which is very important. They've got even guys like Hakon Evian, who's a, a fantastic player. He's he's mostly been been brought off the bench. Vass is yet to, to to sort of hit the levels we know he can play at. So they've got the squad that can do it. It's just a question of can Jesper Sorensen get the best out of them? Ah, uh, I think you're nice towards Bonby here. I must say, I <laughs> I have it. I have I see it a little bit differently. I see that they have uh, Vallis that is uh, so good that he could play in any team in in Denmark, uh, or he could probably also play in the most of them. Um, but then I think the the top quality uh, very quickly uh, falls apart. I think they have too many players that could also play in OB or 
OB that relegated last season. Um, I I think it's it's too wide a squad where too many of the players they are just uh, at least one level below the the highest level that that is needed. And I think Jakob Rasmussen brought in you could see instant impact from a great player. If they bring in three more of those or two more of those, then it might look very differently. But mm-hmm. they're not looking like a a team and. And I'm not too impressed by the by the by the roster at the moment. I must say, we know from experience that there's never been a season where, in the Superliga where the two promoted teams have gone down. And uh, looking at the table, it looks like if that's if that trend is going to continue, it looks like Ranners could be in big trouble. They've got the worst goal difference in the league by some distance. They are yet to win a game. And I saw them on the weekend. I went to I went to Lungby Ranners, and they weren't terrible, but they definitely weren't thre- weren't threatening. I think there was you know a header from Marvin Ego, and that was about it. I fear for them a bit this season because they've lost some key players, and they don't look like you know in, in seasons gone by they've struggled to score goals, but they've had defensive solidity. They've had Pat- Patrick Kalgren saving their skin this season. It looks like the aura might have worn off. Yeah, so uh, the aura has definitely worn off. Uh, I don't think it will go as far as uh, they will be uh, relegated, but it is not looking good for them at the moment. And I think uh, the uh, the strategic leadership in, in Ranas uh, did a smart move the other day. They came out and they said, uh, some of this is on us. We uh, thought we would have more of the right players early in the season. We've, uh, we've missed it and we're still bringing in players. And the squad will be better. So uh, so I hope to see a stronger Ranas team because it has been, a for the last five-ish years, they have been a, a very, very positive uh, uh, acquaintance in the league. But yeah, it's not looking good now and they need to do some more because it's not really working. And the Dutch central defender that they brought in, uh, Dessas or something like that, he hasn't uh, proven his value either. So so they need to shape up the squad a little bit to to be more competitive. But I actually think this will be the season where uh, Vaila and Vidova goes down. So the two promoted teams, they get really mm. It's funny that you mentioned Dessas because I, uh, I I watched him quite closely on, on Sunday. And I thought that he... He had a real presence, you know. He was super vocal, shouting at the, shouting at the back line, organizing them, and he looked like he'd be a real nightmare to play against as a player. You know, very very physical, very strong, and made a couple of good sort of last man tackles as well. So, based on what I've seen this season, he looks like a a, a solid addition to me. But maybe uh, maybe there was more expected. Yeah, well, I think it's one of these things where maybe already now we see improvement with the with the Lungby game that I unfortunately didn't see. But uh, but there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders, so uh, so yeah, maybe he is the man. Um, and it was just a few uh, rough games at the beginning. I wanted to get your opinion on the two promoted teams. Vila haven't picked up a point yet. Vior have two draws, but for different reasons, I've been sort of pleasantly surprised by both. When I saw the story of Vior being a part-time team and and that the whole setup there, I, I did sort of fear for what we might see for them. But even on the, the FC Copenhagen game on the on the weekend. I thought they they took the game to them. They had plenty of chances. They certainly weren't played off the park. They've only conceded seven goals. So their problem is they've only scored two. But certainly they haven't looked completely out of place in the league. No, I think that's that's fair enough. I think they need to become a little bit sharper, as you said, in the in the penalty boxes uh, in, in, in both ends. Um, but uh, I think you can also see that 
it is a team of semi-pros. They do some weird stuff from time to time. I think the coach is very uh, loyal to his system. Going extremely high on FC Copenhagen's wingers is is dangerous, and and they just continue to do that. So so they leave a lot of room behind so maybe it's a little bit too romantic for for team promoting but uh i think we will see a few surprises uh through the season but i don't think they'll be able to cut it and i know it's early to say in in the fifth round and i said something similar about lungby last year right uh but um but let's see i think they'll have a, a tough one when it comes to Vile, the program has been very tough also for them. So let's see when they meet more of the teams that they actually need to beat in order to stay up. Uh, so I've not discarded them at all yet. But um, but yeah, they also just look, they definitely look like one of the, the weakest sides in the league, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Although I would say that they've, uh, again, they haven't been overawed in any of the games a little bit like Lungby at the start of last season I think they've played reasonably well but they just haven't got any points and I think that Vior being able to grind out a couple of draws I think that those points are so important you know you can basically stay up with 20 points is that accurate actually yeah that, I think that's fair enough yeah so two points you're 10% of the way there already and I, I just think that the points at that end of the table are so crucial that if they can just turn some of those losses into draws or eke out a win here and there, that might be enough. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But uh, but again, let's see when when the schedule changes and Vile gets a bit of of uh, of the easier teams. Uh, I think they play less uh, idealistic than than uh, Vidor, which I think is a necessity when you when you get promoted. So yeah, I have more hopes for Vile than I do for Vidor for sure. Brilliant. Before we go, there was a question I got on Twitter from T-Boss who wanted to know just how good a coach is Jakob Nystrup. He's obviously proving himself in Denmark, but does he have a higher ceiling elsewhere in Europe? And I was curious for your take on this because when I saw the question, I thought one of the things that I would normally take into consideration is have they managed in different situations? And obviously when he was manager of Viborg, that was uh, something completely different. But I think he was he was kind of there at the start of this upsurge we've seen in Viborg. And I think that he's had a really positive effect at FC Copenhagen. Obviously, when he took over from Thorup, they were in uh, not a great place. And so I, I do kind of feel that he might have what it takes to manage at a higher level. What do you reckon? So I like the way he communicates. I think he's a very, very strong communicator. I think his results on the pitch has been very good. I think it's always very hard to assess coaches up against each other and and who can take the next level because FC Copenhagen, as boring as it sounds, also has the best team and the most expensive team and therefore you expect a lot. But there's no doubt he's also overperformed a lot. So where does that really put him compared to so many others? I would uh, look as much on the character Nestrup as I would look on the pitch results because I think that is where how coaches will also be signed uh, in the future. And I think there he's he's had a presence from day one and he's a very good representative of what FC Copenhagen is today. And that is probably where I would hang my head uh, because I think it's so hard to assess. I don't see anything in games where I'm like, this is new and this is brilliant. But it's just very, very solid work. And and again, uh, not taking anything away from his results because that has been absolutely impressive uh, from the time he took over from Torp to where we are now. 
Amazing. I think that wraps it up perfectly. I mean, five rounds of action, lots to talk about. And uh, yeah, really appreciate you giving up your time, Casper. And we've, uh, we, I think that we've, uh, we've given it a good go of, of trying to explain what's, <laughs> what's been going on. Brilliant. Well, it was uh, always, uh, it's always good to be on. And uh, I look forward to the next round. Let's do it again. And yeah, thank you everyone for, for tuning in. I know it's not quite as regular as it was last season, but hopefully you're still enjoying it. Uh, keep your eyes on the, the website over the next week. I'm going to do a, a full write-up of my uh, my trip to Denmark, which took in uh, the FC Norgela match. It took in B93 on the Friday, which is a completely unique stadium, unique experience, like just a, a really, really cool club. And then uh, Lungby Runners on, on Sunday. And uh, I was four minutes from experiencing my first ever nil-nil on Danish soil and was bailed out by a dramatic uh, home winner. So that was uh, that was quite fun to be a part of. So yeah, keep an eye on the site and uh, and that's coming there. And I've got a whole bunch of exclusive interviews lined up over the next uh, weeks, months that uh, that I hope will keep you entertained. So thanks for listening. Thanks to, to Kasper Delind. Thanks to Kasper Pedersback. And uh, I'll be back next time on Danish Dynamite.